0: You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right, I want you to imagine with me a valley filled with people from all over the land. Uh, A sea of people trying to get to the front row to see who will be picked. There are 12 loose groups of families. They became tribes. These, These 12 loose groups... And, and today is a day of history, because on this day, for the very first time, after hundreds of years, they're picking their first king, their first George Washington. Who will it be? Everyone is hoping that it's from their family, from their tribe, from their group. They watch as an old, graying, but wise prophet leader goes from tribe to tribe. A line is formed and he walks in front of each and every tribe. And a hush falls as he stops in front of the smallest, least significant tribe of the entire bunch. In fact, a tribe that has been despised by all other 11 tribes. And he picks from the least of their clan and the least of the families in that clan. That story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 10. And their land is surrounded by countries with kings, with armies. And these armies and these kings are ready and planning on attack. And they wanted a king to trust because God was not enough for them. Well, Samuel picks and he calls out the name of this new king. And he calls out his name, Saul, of the tribe of Benjamin. But nobody steps out. Nobody can find Saul because he's hiding in the supplies. They go and find him. He steps out. And when he does, whoa, he's good looking. That's what the Bible says. He's tall. He's a foot taller than everybody else. He's tall, dark, and handsome, kind of like Jeff Finnegan. He looked like a warrior, and he soon acted like one. A new sheriff is in town, but the story doesn't start there. It starts a few chapters back. Let me give you the background check on where we're going with Kings today. Uh, I put this little thing up on the on the on the screen to help you kind of understand that after creation, you might have heard of the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those stories are in the Book of Genesis. Um, Jacob had a son named Joseph and Joseph basically, uh, got his whole family to set up camp in Egypt. Well, after a few hundred years, this family became slaves and God raised up another person. His name was Moses to lead these people out of slavery and into their own land of promise. And along with Joshua, Moses and Joshua led them finally into their land of promise that became known as the land of Israel, which is basically the Israel is the name of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his name was changed to Israel by God. So all the tribes or the families of Israel mean literally the families of Jacob or the land of Jacob. So you have now Israel. Now when they come in, there's 300 years without a king. And these three hundred years are are led by a cycle of judges, and basically there were times when uh, they would cry out to God for mercy because they 'd fallen into deep sin, and God would raise up a savior among them, and they were judges and these would these men would or and a uh, women uh, one woman uh, they would they would rise to the challenge to lead these people to integrity and back to their face towards God, and they would live unto God until this judge died, and then they would fall back into sin until it got so bad they would call out to God, he'd raise up another judge. Well, 300 years of judge after judge, a constant cycle of sin and repentance, and a new judge each time. Well, the last judge that God gave them was a prophet, priest, and judge whose name was Samuel. And Samuel takes over as the new judge And there's no Jerusalem, there's no capital city, there's no temple. In fact, the tent at this point has been taken down, and the ark is temporarily at some guy's house. Because they're afraid that the enemy will steal the ark. So they don't have a regular cycle of worship. There's no center of, of God's presence, and Samuel is leading with integrity. But the people call Samuel together, and after 300 years, they look at Samuel and say, We want a king. We demand a king. Now, I've got these two chess pieces, uh, pieces, two, uh, you know, one's kind of a Frosted and one's clear. These are both the kings from a chess piece at our chess game at our house. And uh, I tell you, when we think of kings, we 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 you know we go to like you know Game of Thrones, or might go to some movie like Lord of the Rings or something, or or some book, or or we might go to some game, right, where we you know think of kings and or checkers, king me, and uh, or chess and you know checkmate. The idea is to get the king, and we have no concept. Of kings, I mean, we when we think of modern-day kings, we think of uh, figurehead monarchs like in England where the king is more of a symbol and the queen is more of a symbol with not real authority and power. Well, in the Bible, the king meant power. The king was everything and that society. And the king is a symbol of who they were as a person and what kind of people they wanted to be. So they called Samuel and said, it's time for us to get a king, and what we're going to find in this series is there's a story of three kings, and for the bulk of the message, it's going to be a tale of two kings, a tale of one today, Saul, and a new guy we're going to meet next week, years before he becomes king. You might know his name is David. Well, the people called him together. We're going to read some Bible today because I think the Bible tells the story better than I could tell it. So let's take a look. We're going to pick it up in First Samuel chapter eight, verse one. Basically, we demand a king. So when Samuel grew old, says he appointed his sons as Israel's judges. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. I like that. Abijah, that's a cool name. And they both served as judges at Beersheba. Now, his sons did not follow his ways. Samuel was a good man. He was an amazing man, amazing life, a great lover of God. But these six words sting. His kids did not walk in his ways. They did not walk and follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. That means they they, they, they could be manipulated. They were part of the old school mafia. At the time, they were not good guys and Israel's cry for a king was largely due because of Samuel and his family. Verse 4, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they all said to him, You're old. <laughs> That's nice, isn't it? It's like, it's like, hey, I love you. You're old, right? It'd be a horrible way to start off a sins. You're old, and your sons don't follow your ways. A little jab and a twist. It goes, now appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. You see, a king is a one who begins a legacy whose children become their inheritant royal throne. So basically, they're looking at some, says Samuel, we would have picked you, but your sons are not the kind of kings we want. So Samuel was basically said, we don't want, uh, was told, we don't want you to be our king. Wow, that hurts, man. I mean, that hurts. I'm thinking, man, I've given you all my life. And now rejection, verse 6, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. He says, God, I'm hurt. God, I'm angry. I need to talk to you. And, and the Lord told him, he said, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected. He said, but really, he says, they've rejected me as their king. You see, that time was supposed to be a a time when when God says, "I am your king. I am your king." If you for three hundred years they had judges that led them back to their king. He says they rejected me as king. Verse eight and. As they have done from the day I brought them out of, out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are going to do it to you it says now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what a king who will reign over them will claim as his rights uh, he goes, all right listen it 's not you re- they're rejecting they're rejecting me, but tell them what it's going to cost them. Tell them that the big government costs a lot of money says, so the next section of verses, I could just have you read it, but I want to read it because I think it's so bizarre. Because I think it's a great description of earthly governments. Verse 10, it says, so Samuel, trying to talk him out of having a king, says, all right, all right, God says you can have a king, but here's what it's going to cost. Just so you know, are you sure you want this? So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. And he said, well, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and he will make them serve with his chariots and horses and they will run in front of his chariots. That means he's going to draft them into an army. He says, and some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He says, and it's not just your sons. He says, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. And he will take a tenth of your grain and your uh, and of your vintage, uh, vintage, vintage and, and give it to his officials and attendees. By, by the way, that's, that's a tax. That's a flat tax. He goes, and your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, well, he'll take them for his own use too. And he will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become as his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief in the king for, because of the king that you've chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. He says, man, he says, you want to know what the cost of a king is? Well, it's wages and war. It's going to cost you a lot more than probably you realize. He says he will rule over you rule over you, because big government is coming. Is that what you want? Now, their response was quite interesting. I'd have been like, no, no, never mind. We're good. Samuel, continue to judge us. But this is what they said. But the people refused to listen to Samuel, no, they said, we want a king over us. Then he will be like all the other nations, trying to be like people without God to fit in. Uh, they, they they wanted to fit in, they wanted to they wanted to look like everybody else, but God's called us and them to be different. And he says, Then we will be like the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight for us. See, they wanted somebody to fight for them rather than to fight. For themselves and trust God to fight for them. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord, not because God didn't hear it, but because Samuel wanted to tell everything to God. He was distraught over this whole thing and he talked to God. Then the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, go home. He says, go back to your town. I thought that was interesting because he said, all right, give him a king. All right, everybody, here's what God says. Go home because a king is coming. You're going to get a king. So they all go home. I can imagine they're like, all right, this is going to be awesome. Who's going to be? Who's going to be? I'd say, I think it's going to be the tribe of Judah. I think it's going to be the tribe of, uh, you know, uh, you know, Hanasseh, I think it going be, you know, they were all talking about it. Well, here's the man who would be king. What follows is an unexpected supernatural story of who God picks. In 1 Samuel 9, 1, I'm just going to do a flyover. Of of the next few chapters in Samuel verse 1 of chapter 9 it says there was a Benjamite uh, a man of standing whose name was Kish now verse 2 Kish had a son named Saul and he was as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel so I want you to remember Saul was a good looking man he was handsome he was strong he was tall he was tall dark and handsome and he was a head taller than anyone else. Now Saul was just a farmer and one of his donkeys, some of his donkeys were missing. So his family says, Saul, take a servant, go find our donkeys. So he goes looking for the donkeys, but he can't find the donkeys. Well, because they're, they're lost, there goes the Kings. And, um, so he finally makes it. To to this area that they are totally lost. Saul's lost. The servant's lost. And they go, we need to get home or dad's going to think we're lost. And the servant says, you know what? I hear that there's a prophet. There's a seer. There's like this guy who can tell the future who's nearby. It's Samuel. So he says, if we can go and 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 offer him an offering, maybe he'll tell us where the donkeys are. So they travel over to see Samuel. And when they get there, Samuel is waiting because the day before God told Samuel that that the king would be coming to meet him. So verse 17, when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. So Saul walks up to the prophet Samuel says, hey, we're looking for the seer. We're looking for the prophet. Have you seen him? Samuel says, hey, you're looking at him. I'm him. They'll say, say what? So they go, you're the person. And and, and then he goes, well, not only am I the person, but I've been expecting you. Because I want you to know when you least expect it, when you are in the middle of your day, when you don't realize it, God will meet you in your daily life. Just like Saul. Verse 19, he says, I'm the seer. Go up ahead of me to the high place. For today you are to eat with me in the morning. I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. You see Samuel was about to go up and have this big sacrifice service. He had like uh a 35 several dozen guests, high level VIPs. And he comes in and he says, "Ha, I've been waiting for you. Come down and sit down with us. Sit at the head of the table." And he says, verse 20, "As for the donkeys you lost, well, 3 days ago, uh don't worry about them. Uh they've been found." And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned? Well, if not to you and your whole family line. So basically, he says, you are now the king. Now, I want you to know, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a dog, a little Yorkshire Terrier. They got lost in our neighborhood. It was a cute little thing. And I was out putting some stuff in my car, and the woman who had lost the dog was walking up and down our whole neighborhood, uh, the whole all of our streets, calling out to the name of the dog. You know, my heart broke. She had flyers. You know, have you seen my dog? You know, and I'm like, Baby. And I said to her, I said, no, but you're the next president. God revealed to me yesterday and told me that you would be coming by my house and, and come in, come in, have a, have dinner with me. <laughs> Wacko, right? She's like, get away from me. <laughs> Call the cops. one. He's he's gonna. All right, if I were to study, this is a true story she actually did come to our house I did not tell her that she was going to be a king or president but had I broke into some prophetic oh man of you know moments you know God's spiritual moment. she'd have thought I was crazy but That's exactly what's happening here. Saul answered, but I am not a Benjamite. He says, I'm just a Benjamite. Am I not just of the smallest tribe of Israel and is not my clan, the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? He says, "Uh, why are you saying these things to me? I tell you, God likes to take the foolish and turn them into something beautiful. He likes to use the foolish things to confound the wise. So Sam sat Saul at the head of a table of 30 VIPs. And he says, here, eat this. It's the best piece of steak. I had it cut just for you yesterday and it's been waiting for you. That night, he took Saul up into the roof of his house and talked to him all night long. And he says, in the morning, I have something very special for you. So here's what happens in the morning. The next morning, he says, I have a message from God. In chapter 10, verse 1, it says, then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head. Now, olive oil was a picture of anointing. It was a picture of the Holy Spirit. And whenever someone was anointed by a prophet, God makes a king, by the way. Kings don't make prophets. All right? Kings don't say who a prophet is, but God says who kings are. God says who leaders are. God says who these people are. And Samuel, working in the hands of God, poured this anointing over uh, all over Saul. And he kissed him saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Now he says, go on home. But I want you to know some weird things are going to happen on your way home. So what happens on his way home, he says, on the way home, you're going to meet two men by a sacred tomb of Rachel. And he says, and they will tell you that your two donkeys are found and that your dad is really worried about you. And then he says, I want you to keep walking until you find this big tree. And there, there's going to be three men who are on the way to worship God. And they'll be carrying three goats and three loaves of bread and a wineskin. And they're going to offer you two loaves and you take it. And he said, and then you just keep on walking. And he says, and you're going to get to the hill of Benjamin and get And there's going to be a group of men singing praise and worship songs, having a worship service. They're going to be prophesying and you're going to step right into that experience. And you're going to be caught up in the spirit of God and your life will be changed forever. And you, he says, will begin to prophesy this man, the power of God. Is going to fall all over you. I want you to realize that God was not trying to sabotage Israel, even though they wanted a king and not God. God was trying to set them up for success. But our hearts are evil and wicked when we don't trust in the Lord. God was trying to give them a a win. The shadow of Jesus is happening here as Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king, and so is that king to be. In verse 6, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. And you will be changed into a different person. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Only the power of God can change you into a different person. You can try and try and try and try and commit to change and commit to change and go to group and go to rehab and, and join, you know, some talk about group or go to counseling and nothing will change you until the Holy Spirit begins to change you. And then those things might be helpful, helpful in you. But the Holy Spirit is the transforming power. Verse 7 says, Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hands find to do, for God is with you. And then after that, in seven days, I'm going to show up. So God is in the details, the big picture. God used the events of that day in a powerful way, not only to minister Saul, but to minister every one of those people that he met. All of it happened just as as Samuel said. Saul gets home, but he doesn't tell his family what's going down. He does not tell them that he was anointed as king. So here's the day of the big reveal. In chapter 10, verse 17, we're going to pick up right where we started off with. And that is Samuel summoned the people of the Lord together at a place called Mizpah. Now, I want you to realize Mizpah is not a place that people liked. The, the, the Basically, the main town in the area where... Saul lived was a place that was a place of a past massacre where hundreds of thousands of people were slaughtered and ripped to shreds by their own people. It was a place where 11 tribes attacked and massacred the tribe of Benjamin. This was a place, it was a horrible place of rape and blood. The entire tribe of Benjamin was Almost wiped out. And he says, hey, guys, we're meeting at Ms. Pa. So, and he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought Israel out of Egypt. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppress you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you've said, no, appoint us a king over us. So. Now present yourself for the Lord by the tribes and your clans. He says, you, uh, you make me so, God did so much for you. And you wanted a king. All right, here we go. You wanted it, you asked for it. He kind of, he precursors the pick by saying, you guys drive me crazy. So the 52 year old Samuel, a bit sad, a bit angry. His kids not living for God. God was to be their king, but they want a man. Their land surrounded by powers and armies ready to attack. Verse 21, finally Saul, the son of Kish was taken or picked. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. They inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? <laughs> They're like, where is this king? And it says, well... Yes, he has hidden, the Lord said, among the supplies. Don't confuse his insecurity for humility, by the way. They ran and they brought him out, and he stood among the people, and he was a head taller than all the others. Samuel said to the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king! And then they all went home. They all went home, and Saul went back to farming. It was like nothing ever changed. They, they call him his king, and then he sends them home. Now, here's where the first king battle turns up. Now, we're doing a flyover, and then I'm going to give you, like, just five quick thoughts about this story. But I'm, I'm laying the groundwork for maybe a story that you never heard about, how Saul became king. So Saul is, is announced as the king, as he hides in the supplies and there's no big party no big celebration they just shout long live the king some people hated him and some people followed him back to his hometown so here he is he goes back to farming but then back at a place called Jabesh Gilead, there was a small Jewish community that had been attacked by the Ammonites. Now I want you to tell I want to tell you about the Ammonites. The Ammonites were notorious for not just attacking. They didn't like to kill people, they liked to maim people. When they went in, what they would do is they would either cut off fingers or arms or feet, and what they loved to do was gouge out the right eye. So they would come in to the places of of the tribes of Israel and they would take over entire communities and then they would gouge out the right eye of the people in that community. So the Ammonites had attacked this town, this village, Jabesh Gilead, and they were confronted with a deal. They said, hey, we'll leave you alone if you let us gouge out the right eye of every man, woman, and child and baby in this town. Well, they go, um, can you give us seven days to think about that? They really did. And basically they said, guys, if we don't find somebody to rescue us, looks like we're going to be (laughs) monovision. So the messengers sent out weeping and crying. They finally reached Saul. Saul. Saul was putting up his oxen in his plow. And they said, Saul, the Ammonites have attacked us. They've already started gouging out our right eyes. They're going to gouge out the right eye of everybody unless we are rescued. Saul was enraged. And you know what he did is he took one of his ox and he slid it open and he cut it into pieces and he put it on carts. And he sent this, this mutilated ox all over the tribes of Israel with a message saying, we need to rescue them or this is going to happen to all of us. What a visual, huh? You know, what a visual. So oh, we need some help. Ah, well, we need to gather some troops. I got an idea. <laughs> chop, 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 chop. You know, basically sent the innards all over of Israel, and Israel was was petrified and, and mortified and challenged to step up. And within a week, three hundred and thirty thousand men showed up ready to fight. And then he said, Send word to Gilead, the people there, that by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, he says, We're going to be there to rescue you. Well, Gilead told the Ammonites, We surrender. So the Ammonites began to settle in as they were getting ready to gouge out the eyes of everyone. But that evening, Saul surrounded the Ammonite camp and attacked. And in the middle of that day, the heat of the next day, the Ammonites were slaughtered and scattered. Verse 12 is where it picks up. Then the people said to Samuel, <laughs> Who was it that asked, shall Saul reign over us? Who didn't like Saul? Who didn't want him to be king? Turn these people over to us and we'll put them to death. Man, they're like all souped up on adrenaline, right? They're like slaughtering the Amulets. Who didn't like Saul? Who didn't like Saul? Right? They're ready to kill him. They're ready to kill all the people that didn't like and want Saul to be king. But Saul said, no one will be put to death today. It should have said, no more people will be put to death today. For this day, the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal. That's his hometown. And there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. And there they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the Israelites had a great celebration. That is when the king took his place. Now there was no temple. There was no throne. There was no crown. There was no capital city. The closest thing they had to a capital city was Shiloh. And that place had already been attacked and destroyed. So they were a hodgepodge group of farmers and vineyards that, uh, that didn't have a king, didn't have a throne, didn't have a city. But Saul became their warrior, their king. And so Saul reigned for 40 years, and he was 30 when he became king. Saul started out strong, winning battles, uniting the kingdom, chasing back the enemy. He was a true hero when it first started. So here's five big ideas of this story, and we're going to close with this section today. But five things to walk away with today about this story that really stood out to me is, number one, following God's will will involve rejection. I think Samuel was rejected not necessarily because of his sons. That was the excuse they gave, but he was rejected because they did not want God as the king of their life. And you know, Jesus told his disciples something very similar in Luke six twenty two. He says, "Blessed are those, blessed are you who people uh, when people hate you, when they exclude you, and when they insult you and reject your name as evil." Because of the Son of Man. Let me tell you something. If you are a believer in Jesus and you're in this room, if you're truly a follower of Christ, some people just won't like you. Some people, they'll think that you're fine and all, but they just won't follow you. They won't believe in you. They won't buy into the gospel that you have made the staple and the the, the flag in your heart. And this is important to remember because as long as you are a follower of God, you will be rejected. This is important to understand because there'll be some nights, young people, where you're home alone on a Friday night. There'll be some Saturday nights when you're home alone. There'll be some days after work when everybody's going out and you're going home. There'll be some times when you will have friends that you just won't do as much with because they're not following you. And you honestly can't follow them anymore. Following God's will will involve rejection. But when people reject you, Jesus told his disciples, it's not you they're really rejecting. It's me. But it's still hard to get past the rejection. Samuel was hurt. Samuel was angry. And you might feel that way too from time to time. But if we follow Samuel's example, and that is he got on his knees. He talked to God. He poured his pain out to God. Here's the next thing that I thought that really jumped out to me is that we rarely count the cost of the things that we want. We rarely count the cost. We just want. We want more stuff. We want a different life. We want a change in our relationships. We want a different location. We want, you know, they heard what it would cost, their wages, their peace, their family. They would be in bondage to potentially selfish people and they were not listening. And, you know, we do the same thing. Man, say, I want that guy. I want that girl. I I want that job. I, I want- a different life. I want a divorce or I want that extra relationship. I I want to do more. I want to go to this. I want, I want, I need, I need, I need to attain. Maybe it's not necessarily bad things. Maybe it's just things that you think that you need to have like more stuff, a bigger TV or a, a nicer car, or a bigger home or newer furniture. And you just, I want, I want, I want. And like them, we don't always count the cost. We hear it. But we don't listen. We don't receive it. They wanted an army that they could see. Security that they could touch. But the price was larger than they imagined. It was a false sense of comfort. And often thought, I was thinking, why do we tend to to trade uh, God's grace for our effort? Why is it that we trade faith for a visible security? Because I think the concept of grace is not something that we really, really, truly understand. We kind of like it, but we don't really accept it because it's getting something undeserved. It seems unfair. I mean, we're always taught, you're supposed to work hard for everything, right? That's what we're taught. You work hard? And you and you and you stay faithful to to working hard and and you're gonna reap it. You're gonna you're gonna get something. And nothing comes without hard work. Well, that's not the same with God. I mean, see, efforts when we pay for something, we think we control it. See, when we work for something, we have this. Uh, false identity of pride and because we think well i did this but you see grace is handed out by god alone he's in control he gives it as he wills he grants as he favors and it bolsters humility when we get it because it's nothing we earn but we are gravitated towards our own effort and the things that we want for false security you see this is why a lot of times people prefer idols even though they have to carry them because even though they're carrying him they feel like they're controlling their own god and we often do the same seeking people For security, a job, a career, we're fine until we realize that we can't actually control them. And they're still an idol in our life because our whole life revolves around what they think or what they're doing or what we think we have to have. We don't always count the cost for the things that we want. Here's the third thing I got to thinking about is that getting what you want does not mean God approves of it. So you're like, well, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I finally got it. God must have blessed me with this. Just because you got what you prayed for and got what you asked for does not mean that God approves of it. They rejected God and disobeyed, yet God let them have what they wanted. Warning, by the way, beware if you are in sin and you get what you want. Because chances are it's going to be something that's going to wreck your life. It's going to be something that's going to leave you empty. And God's letting you have it to show you that it doesn't meet your need of your heart. Let them have what they want. God, let them have what they thought they needed. They got a guy who appeared to be humble, but he actually, as we find out, had intense pride and jealousy. They got a guy who looked the part, tall, dark, and handsome, but he had an ugly heart. We're going to find out that they got what appeared to be a great warrior, but he lacked leadership skills, and he ran when things got tough. They thought what appeared to be a kind man. But what they got was an arrogant man who did not receive instruction. They thought that they appeared to receive a man of God. But what they got was a person who lacked the true heart of God. He was the perfect king for them because he looked just like them. Sometimes God will give you what you want, even if it proves painful. I thought of this Psalm 106. It says, so he gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease with it. Basically, that wasting disease means a a pain inside. He gave them what they wanted, but it came with pain attached to it. We are so often persistent in asking God for what we want. We're so persistent asking what God uh, does not want us to have. And most of the time we get what we want and we find that we don't want it or that it's not enough. Instead, Matthew 6.33 is the remedy to this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you think that you want and need. He will take care of you. Here's verse, uh, the fourth thing, we're going to wrap this up, is that you, like them, already have a king. You see, they were like, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. But they already had a king. They already had a king 300 years of fighting with God. They said, no, thank you. Give us an earthly king. We too, want a king it's in our DNA, every one of us, we like this notion of being kind of led and protected. And I mean, it's in all of our fairy tales, you know, the knight in shining armor, the great climax of the fairy tale is one of them's a prince and one of them's a princess. There's a sense of royalty in the heart of human beings, It's in the stories that we read. It's in the movies that we watch. It's in the books that we like to entertain ourselves. There's this sense of valor and honor and heroism, a warrior that comes in to lead the people. We all want a king. We crave a king. Why? Because we want that leadership in our life, but we don't want that king to be God. Because we still want to think we can control that king. Because if God was our king, he would rule our life. Saul was their attempt to make man themselves into God. But God's way is to make God into a man who is Jesus. They wanted a king after their own heart, but God's way is a king after his own heart. So I got to thinking, what were the reasons that they asked for a king with Samuel? I think they're the same reasons we cry out for a king. Four reasons why we cry out for a king. And the first one was insecurity. They said, you're too old. I don't like what I'm looking at. I don't like what I'm seeing here. Samuel, we're looking at you. We're looking at your family. This is, man, this can't be God. God. They were insecure about who God put in their life. Another reason that we like to ask for kings is because of sin. They said, man, your sons are corrupt. Their sons are evil because sin clouds our vision and our ability to see God. And then another reason that we look for kings and we look outside of our walk with God is because we're afraid. They had a military threat looming, and our circumstances for us often make us nervous. And rather than trusting God, we run to to somebody else to save the day. Some of you single women, you think just having a boyfriend or having a husband would fix everything. You're looking for a king rather than trusting God. You're letting fear control you. Some of you think if just a better boss, a better job, a better position, instead of trusting God, you're looking at the circumstances and you're getting nervous. So you're looking outside of the king who is already there. And then others, we lack God's presence. You see, they were in a time when the ark was out there somewhere. It was at a guy's house in a little village. And they had no place where they could meet God in his very presence. Some of you, you're lacking the presence of God. You're lacking that time of worship. Like when Saul got in that place of worship, he began to prophesy. That means he began to hear God's voice. And they got outside of that place where the presence of God is. And they began to not feel God. And so they trusted in their own power. We do the same. So are you looking for a king? Well, Jesus is already that king. When you acknowledge this and realize that your need is his grace and his forgiveness, and you submit to his lordship in your life and his rule in his life, guess what you get? You get freedom. You get hope. You get peace. You get his presence. Guys, listen. It is 4th of July this week, and, and, you know, freedom is... Is, is not something that we get with a birth certificate. It's not something we get with a visa. It's not something we get with citizenship because there are a lot of people bound in chains and slavery right here in the United States inside. And though they live in a free country, they're not free inside. And there are people around the world that are in bondage to governments that are corrupt and unjust, and they are free because Christ is the Lord of their life. These are a group of people that gave up their freedom because they mistook a king, an earthly king, for their freedom. When Christ is saying, no, 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 no. I'm the king. I'm the king. We do the same. You already have a king. Here's the last thing, and I went in with this, is that God loves to show his redemptive power. Mizpah, that town I told you about, here's the background story of that. There was a Levite. It's in the last book of Judges, in the last chapter of Judges. There's a Levite. That's a priest who had a wife who ran away. He went to go get her. After he went and got her, he was traveling through the area of the tribe of Benjamin and stopped at a place called Mizpah where he was sleeping on the street with his wife, one of his concubines, his wife there. A man said, hey, don't sleep on the street. Come on in because this is a dangerous, crazy city. He goes over to this man's house and he sleeps. And before you know it, within a few hours, people are banging on the door. Men have come to the house demanding that they send this Levite out so that they can have sex with him. And the man of this house says, no, 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 no. He says, man, this town is crazy. He goes, no, 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 guys, here, have my daughter instead. Well, they said, no, we don't want that daughter. We want the Levi. Well, the Levi, because he was a corrupt priest, he was a corrupt man. He sent his wife out instead. And the Bible tells one of the most graphic, horrible stories that I've ever read in the last chapter of Judges. And these people, they raped her all night long. And then when they left her, the Bible says very clearly, she dragged herself to the door of that house And she was lying there on the threshold of the door. When he opens up the door and he says, you know, come on, let's go. And on his way there, he cuts her up into pieces and sends her all over Israel. And says, this is what the tribe of Benjamin does to people. So that day, within a couple of days, thousands of people from all over Israel showed up at Mizpah. And they slaughtered the people of the Benjamites. They killed all of them, but 600 of them. Saul is one of the great grandkids of those 600 men. And they were worried because they only had 400 women to give to these men. They killed all the women too. So they basically gathered together 400 women and said, here's some women so you guys don't die because, you know, you're, we're family. Like, because how you treat family? And then they said, well, what about the other 200 of us? He says, well, we're going to have a big party. And when the women come out to dance, you just take them. It was horrible. It was a horrible time. And God raised up Samuel to bring justice upon this group of people. But Mizpah became a place of, of massacre and death and evil. That's why they were the least of all the tribes. And that's why they were the least of the clan, because these were a group of people that just fell apart. And this is the place where Samuel says, hey, we're meeting at Mizpah place of blood, the place of pain, that place of sin, and that massacre place, we're going to meet right there. It's a terrible place of memories of blood and depravity, but it became a place of a new start, and it became a new beginning for an entire family. Guys, I want you to hear this. The cross was a place of torture and blood and pain for thousands and thousands of people. 2,000 years ago, it became a place of hope and healing and a new start. And years later, you might have heard of a guy named Saul who changed his name to Paul. That guy, well, he was an angry Benjamite also who attempted to wipe out God's people until he met Jesus face to face and his name became Paul. He was a Benjamite. I want you to to hear this. God takes the massacres in our life turns them into beautiful new beginnings. Some of you here feel like you have gone through the ringer that you, maybe you've never experienced the pain of what the Benjamites have gone through. Maybe you have. But the Lord is here today and he wants to say to you that he can take your place of pain, your place of pain and turn it into a place of healing. I want to end with this last portion here and First Samuel chapter 12, I just want to read some verses and we're going to pray. That day that they were finally celebrating Saul being made king, Samuel gets up to give a speech. And this is what he says. Samuel gives a speech. He says, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to serve you. But hear me. If you neglect God and his word, God be my witness. Judgment will come. Verse 20, he says, do not be afraid. By the way, they said, how do we know this is true? Well, Samuel called forth a great storm. And it was out of season and lightning and thunder and storm and wind. People were scared out of their wits. And they said, okay, okay, we believe it. God is with us and we will keep our eyes on God. And this is what he says. He says, do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet you have not turned away from the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your heart do not turn away after useless idols. They can do no good, nor can they rescue you because they're useless. An idol for you might be a friend, a relationship, a career, a job, a dream, whatever that keeps your eyes off the Lord. could be a boyfriend, a girlfriend. He says they're useless. They are They cannot rescue you. He says, verse 22, For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you... And your king will perish. Guys, I want to challenge you. This is the call of God on all of us today. God is saying for you to trust him as king. And if you will follow him, he will be with you forever and be faithful to you. But if we are persistent in chasing other things, other idols, other people, it will eventually be our demise It did not take long for Saul to go downhill. He started off great. Ten years after Saul was made king, a young man was, well, a baby was born in the family of Jesse. His name was David. Saul didn't realize it, but his son was not going to become king. It was going to be that little baby. Next week, we're going to meet that little baby, and we're going to see how Saul, this great man, falls terribly into a cycle of psychotic behavior and violence and rage in the occult. But it doesn't have to be that way. Well, God wants to take your place of massacre and take it to a place of healing. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much that you are a redeemer. You are the one that takes our pain, our failure, our, our, uh, our hurt. And Lord, you you launch us from that place. God, I know there's people here that are probably hurting, people here that are probably insecure and in fear and feel like your presence isn't there. God, I pray that they would find the king of kings, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.